it's the 4th of July, and so we didn't meet last week. But two weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about a common problem in prayer. Anybody remember what that was? What was the common problem in prayer that prevents us from being willing to participate in prayer, or at least in public prayer? Good, good, yeah. Don't know what to say, we say the same things over and over. And so we talked about two extremes to avoid. One is only having pre-written prayers, because that can just sort of be repeating the same things. But ironically enough, prayers that we make up on the spot tend to fall into the same patterns as well. And so what was the solution that I uh, said, here's something that might be a practical solution to that approach, that problem? Okay, pray a passage of Scripture, good. And uh, obviously, different people have different comfort levels with how far you take that. Some of us tend to get more distracted when we're thinking about things, other thoughts pop into our head, and sometimes one of the ways that you can address that is to pray for that situation or circumstance that comes into your head. But on the other hand, I think there's also a measure of discipline in coming back to what the text of Scripture is that you're praying, and so that's important to keep in mind as well. This week I want to build on that, but before we get to the different passages that we're going to look at tonight, let me ask you this. As a kid, did you ever get left behind in the grocery store or at the mall? Now, I'm not asking if you've left anyone behind, because I'm not looking for any kind of confession along those lines, but if you were the one left behind, think about what you felt in that moment. You're afraid, you're lost, you need help. So what is a typical response of someone in that kind of circumstance? Okay, panic. What else? What was that? Crying, okay, good. What else? You're scared, good. If you get past some of those initial flood of emotions, what's something you might do to try to get reconnected with your parent or whoever walked off without you? Okay, good. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm struck, and I'm not all that old, but I'm struck at the difference between my son's generation and mine. When I was little, nobody had a, not as many people had cell phones, so you couldn't just always call the person. So you'd go up to the front of the store, and they'd say, so-and-so, your child is waiting for you at the front of the store. Please come retrieve them, something along those lines. If you're the one that's lost, you might call out that person's name. Dad, Mom, where are you? The passages that we're going to look at tonight describe our relationship to God in a similar sort of way. They describe our relationship to God, specifically through prayer, as calling on the name of the Lord. And this is, I think, perhaps the first way that we see prayer described in the Bible. And so tonight, I want us to begin a survey on some of the ideas that the Bible gives us about what prayer looks like. And starting even in the book of Genesis, you see prayer described this way as calling on the name of the Lord. And there's at least two things, certainly more, that we could talk about that we can see about this idea. And the first is that calling on the name of the Lord sets apart God's people from the rest of the world. We see this starting in the Old Testament. God's people called on Him in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 4, and the end of the chapter there. 
Genesis 4:26 says this, to Seth, to him also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's interesting that it says men began to call on the name of the Lord because it's connected with Seth. And if you think back to what has happened in the chapters just before this, you had the story of Cain and Abel. And what did Cain do to Abel? Okay, murdered him because he was mad. Good, all right. And after Abel was killed, Cain sort of, sort of went off the deep end, went his own way, uh, did uh, anything that pleased himself. And you see all of the uh, wickedness that flowed out of Cain's family. But in contrast, Adam and Eve give birth to a new son named Seth, And it says to Seth, a son was born, he called his name Enosh, then men began to call in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting because apparently some of the Jewish commentators looked at this and they took this in a negative light, that men began to call wrongly on God's name and that leads down to what you have with the events of the flood and and everyone worshiping God in the wrong way or even going their own way. But given the way that this phrase is used in the rest of Genesis positively, for example with Abraham, I'm not sure that this is to be seen in a negative light. I think that the author here is saying that this is a positive thing. Here is Seth and his family line. They're calling on the name of the Lord. They're living in a way that's pleasing to God. Here's Cain and his family line. They're going their own way. They're opposed to God. We see similar language used to describe Abraham. If you jump down to Genesis chapter 12. If you look in verse 8, it says, Then he, Abraham, proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So in contrast to some of Abraham's family who were worshiping false gods, you have uh, Abraham who is calling on the name of the Lord. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll just highlight a few other places where Abraham does this. In chapter 13, uh, Abraham goes on his journeys from the Negev to the south part of the country uh, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And this is interesting because I uh, I think that there's a contrast highlighted here between Abraham and Lot. What is Abraham doing? Abraham is calling on the name of the Lord. Abraham is following God. What's Lot doing? Lot's sort of creeping as close as he can to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so again, we have a contrast between those who call on the name of the Lord and those who are following their own way. Uh, There's several other uh, instances where Abraham does this, uh, chapter 21 and chapter 26 of Genesis. But I'd like to jump over now to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34 and verse 5, uh, the context of this is that Moses has shattered the stone tablets on which God had written the Ten Commandments, the Law of God, 
uh, when he comes down and sees the idolatry of the people. And in this chapter, God is going to replace those stone tablets. And he comes up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and it says in verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him, with Moses, as he called upon the name of the Lord. And so again, we see this is something that not just uh, Seth and his descendants did, not just something that Abraham did, but also something that Moses did in his relationship to God. He called upon the name of the Lord. And then we see as you go a little bit further in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are interesting because they highlight for the Israelites a series of curses and a series of blessings. The curses were what was going to come on the people of Israel if they went their own way. They were going to have famine. They were going to be defeated by their enemies. They were going to be plagued by various problems in their disobedience to God. You come to chapter 28, and on the other hand, you have all the blessings that are outlined for God's people if they would follow him. And it says in chapter 28 and verse 10, the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. And this is interesting, and we're going to highlight this a little bit later when we come to our second main point, but it's interesting that the, the phrasing has changed a little bit here. Here, instead of it being something where it's described as them doing the action, it's saying that they are called connected with God's name, connected with God's person, that this identifies them, that this marks them off as belonging to God. Then you come to a, a probably a familiar story for all of us in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18 and verse 24. And you're familiar with this. Elijah comes to all the people. He says, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then Elijah says, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. The people said, this is a good idea. And so you look at this, and this is perhaps one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament that highlights the contrast between calling on the name of the Lord and calling on some idol, calling on some false god. And it's a remarkable encounter because here's one guy standing calmly by waiting as 450 prophets of Baal are, are dancing around the altar and cutting themselves with knives and working themselves into a frenzy until they've worn themselves out. They can't do it anymore. And then Elijah comes over and he says, Maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe your God had to take a bathroom break. Maybe your God has gone on a journey far away. He can't hear you. Elijah calls on the name of the Lord, and what does God do? He answers immediately with fire from heaven. Not only was there no fire on the altar, but they had doused it with so much water that it was sopping wet, 
and the fire comes down and the fire is so hot and so destructive that it burns up the altar and burns up the wood and burns up the offering and, and cracks the very stones that are in this altar. And so you see here the difference between those who call on the name of the Lord in prayer and those who call on the name of some other God. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. We see this also in the life of David, particularly reflected in the Psalms. Uh, turn, if you would, to Psalm 116. On your way there, I will just highlight for you uh, Psalm 105, verse 1. I'll just read it for you. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. And then when you come to chapter or Psalm 116, he says at least three places in this. In verse 4, I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. And then in verse 13, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And then in verse 17, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And so this is something that characterized God's people uh, including the life of David. I understand chronologically uh, David came before Ahab, so perhaps I should have put that first, but just turning in succession through the passages in our Bibles, you see that David as well was one who called on the name of the Lord. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah 43 and verse 1, But now thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. And we'll talk more about this in a moment, but you see how those who call in the name of the Lord are also called by His name and have a particular relationship with Him. And then the last passage from the Old Testament that I'll read from you is from Lamentations 3 and verse 55. Jeremiah says, I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. And so you have pagan kings who have rejected God, who've thrown Jeremiah in a pit, who don't want anything to do with the prophecies that he's giving to them. They are facing God's judgment. Jeremiah, although he is temporarily facing trials and sufferings, is calling on the name of the Lord, and he has seen God answer him. We see this continued not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Uh, just two quick passages. You don't have to turn there. I'll read them for you. But Acts 2 and verse 21, Peter says this in his sermon to the Jews. He says, It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you have a contrast Peter is making between those who hear the message of Christ and accept it, and those who go their own way. And then Paul, interestingly, quotes the same passage in Romans chapter 10, a familiar passage. It says, verse 12 and 13, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God's people in the Old Testament were characterized as those who called on His name, God's people in the New Testament are those who are characterized as those who call on His name. 
And I would argue, based on those two things, that today, we who are God's people should call upon His name. Assuming that we believe that, that we're convinced of that, why? At least one of the reasons is that calling on the name of the Lord produces certain results. If God's name is associated with His person, and if God's name is connected with His power, then to call on God's name is to ask God in His person to exercise His power in various ways. It's not just sort of a, a formal thing that we're doing. I have to check off this box on my list of things to do today. So I say, God, and then I say, here's these list of things, and then I can check off the box, and now that's done. I'm calling on the name of the God because I want Him to see Him work in a particular way. And what are some of the ways that God works when people call on his name? Well, in the example of Seth, of Abraham, of Moses, and of Peter and Paul regarding the gospel, you see that those who call in the name of the Lord either begin or strengthen a relationship with God. So why do we call upon the name of the Lord? Because it either begins or it strengthens our relationship with the God that we're calling upon. Secondly, calling on the name of the Lord demonstrates that he is the true God. We see this very clearly in the story of Elijah. God is the true God to call on his name. He is the only one that's worth calling on. He's the only one who hears and answers and has true power because he's the creator. Calling on the name of the Lord in another instance produced healing, although ironically not in the way that Naaman expected. You remember the story of Naaman? He comes he wants the prophet to pray for him, to call on the name of the Lord, and he says, I'll be healed. God says, no, you need to humble yourself and go wash yourself in the Jordan River. And he says, I don't want to do that because it's a, it's a dirty place to wash and I have much better rivers in my home. But he said, this is the way that you're going to be healed. And so he wanted them to pray and heal him, but instead God chose a different path for him. We saw David in Psalm 116 calling on the name of the Lord in order that he would receive deliverance from the trial in which he found himself. And then I think that we also see that calling on the name of the Lord will accomplish glory and praise for God. Let me read for you one more passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 12 and verse 4. It says, In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. And so when we do this rightly, and when all people do this rightly, in the end times, God will be praised, God will be honored, God will be glorified. So why do we call on the name of the Lord? Why is that a way that prayer is described? Why is that supposed to characterize us as God's people? Because it sets us apart from those who are not God's people. We do so many things that are exactly the same as people who don't know God on a daily basis. We get up, we get a shower, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we do various tasks, we do things with our kids, we uh, go to the store, we play sports, whatever things we do, there's no difference in the action itself for the most part between what a person who doesn't know God does and a person who does know God does. 
And yet one of the things that marks God's people off from those around them is that hopefully we are calling on the name of the Lord. So if we don't, we should ask ourselves why not. If God has said, I hear my people when they call on my name, and if we see that calling on the name of the Lord produces all of these various results, then we ought to want to do it. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I approach God in prayer confident that He will hear what I ask? And in future weeks, I hope to look at some of the things that would be good and appropriate for us to ask, but sometimes the initial hurdle is, I know I ought to do this, and I know that God did things like this in the past, but I'm not really convinced that God necessarily answers prayer now in the same way that he did then. Sometimes people look at times of revival in church history and they say, well, God did that then. Maybe he's not going to do it anymore. Or other particular times where God showed his power and we say, well, God did that then, but I don't know if he's going to do it now. And understandably, there are differences in the way that God works at various points in history. In the time of Elijah and Elisha, he demonstrated his power through working a variety of miracles, both to proclaim his power and to pronounce judgment on those who didn't follow him. And yet the same God who raised people from the dead and made the widow's oil not run out and fed Elijah in the wilderness and these sorts of things is the same God who is at work in and among us today to build his church. And so do we approach him with the same sort of confidence that Elijah had when he was on Mount Carmel and he was one man and his 450 people opposed to him and say, this is the true God, I'm going to call upon his name and I am confident that he will hear and he will answer. And it's easy for us to say, that was a long time ago. Maybe, maybe God's not going to hear me today. But I think all of these passages show us that this is something that characterizes God's people and this is something that produces specific results. God's people call on His name. When we do that, God hears and God answers. And so when we go to our time of prayer in a moment, I want us to gather in uh, groups of maybe four to six and, and if you happen to write down one of the passages that we looked at, or if you happen to just remember maybe what it said, I want us to build on what we did two weeks ago and pick one of those passages and, and sort of pray to God along those lines. So, for example, let's say you pick Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, and you say, well, it says, at this time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. You could pray something like, even as men began to call on your name in Seth's day, help me to call on your name. Help me to do it regularly and faithfully. Help me to build my relationship with you so that I might know you better. That's just an example. There's many other things that could be said in connection with that verse or the other ones that we looked at. And so I want us to think about the fact that prayer is calling on the name of the Lord and think about how we can pray and call on the name of the Lord using His Word with some of these passages that we looked at tonight. So at the end of our prayer time, I will uh, come up and pray, and then we'll sing our final hymn and be dismissed. But if you would uh, go to groups now with the folks around you, and we'll pray through 
some of these requests. Uh, if any of you came in and uh, did not hear what I said at the beginning, uh, pray for uh, Tina because she's having some uh, bad stomach pain tonight. And uh, pray for others as well who aren't able to be with us tonight. Pray that God will work in them and uh, give them safety and, and healing and those sorts of things. So let's go now to our time of prayer.